Then the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery and made her stand in the middle. And there I am. And there you are. Because in that woman is all of Israel. In that woman is every son of Adam, every daughter of Eve. Every single one of us stands there on trial in solidarity with the woman who was being scoffed at. With the woman that was being condemned. With the woman caught in sin, stripped of her dignity, publicly shamed. And yet, that's you and that's me. We might wonder why, if in the law of Leviticus it says that both the man and the woman who are caught in adultery are meant to suffer the same punishment, why is it just her here? Well, in part, it's because justice is seldom actually applied justly in a fallen humanity. But also, and in a deeper sense, it's because the adulterous woman is one of the most frequent images used all throughout the Old Testament for us, right? For the people of Israel, for the people of God, because that's the way that we behave. That with the ever-faithful Lord, the giver of life, his people continually strayed. And yet he, rather than be a harsh taskmaster, was a relentless lover and always pursued his people, always said, I'm here and ready to forgive. And so this woman is the image of all Israel. She is the image of a fallen humanity. She is in that very place that actually you and I inhabit every day. And so as I reflect on this scene, I realize that's me. I'm standing there, caught in my sin, publicly shamed. How often is it that we've been caught in a lie? And then we've just piled on more lies. Because we couldn't deal with all of the judging eyes that were on us at that moment. Whatever our sin is, we all know it intimately well. And so we're one with this woman. We realize in this moment, this woman was abandoned by the one with whom she sinned. And there I realize, that's been me too. In the moment of trial, where are the people who helped lead me into sin? Where are those false friends that only ever came to my side with gossip, but never with good counsel and sound advice? Where are the people that maybe led me and my mind into the wrong place, to where I made a terrible decision, and then when I needed them most, whoo, they're gone. We realize those friends that lead us into sin are no friends at all. Her companion in sin abandoned her. And so she stood there alone. How often has that been me? Then the world. World leaders, right? In this, um, in this particular situation, it happens to be the religious leaders of her time. Those that she thought maybe would be there to help her, who were supposed to be um, servants of the people of God. No, they just wanted to use her. Did they really care about the state of her soul? Did they really care about what was happening inside? Whether she was in communion with God or not? No, she was just a tool to be used. And so it is with you. And so it is with me. How often the world just wants to use me. I'm only as good as what I'm going to click on. What, what is going to give them the most advertising dollars? 
I am only as good as what I will buy or what I will sell. I am only as good as I can be of service to someone. And then later on they discard me and are done with me. I I stand here with this woman, abandoned by those who help me to sin, being used by those who want to exploit me for their own gain. I feel the eyes of judgment searing into my soul. I feel condemned, alone. And then there's only one set of eyes there that can see beyond my sin into the person that's there and doesn't want to take anything from me, doesn't want to exploit me for personal gain, but rather wants to give me something. And it's to that set of eyes that I turn. Because this man who is looking at me with these eyes of love, in spite of my sin, he's convicted these others. I was standing there alone, fearing the worst, had no more hope, only despair, thinking this is the end. And then I just hear thud, thud, thud. The stones falling to the ground and these men walking away dejected, convicted of their own sinfulness. And then I see before me just that one. The only one in that whole crowd of people who understood me as more than just the ways that I have fallen. And he turns to me. And he says, where are they? Has no one condemned you? But it's not just me there. It's you. You stand there feeling that you were condemned, and maybe even buying into that condemnation, maybe saying what the world says of me, yeah, that's true. What am I? I am just a sinner. What they say of me, that is exactly what I was doing. So of course there's no redemption for me. This is just the way I am. Maybe you've bought into that lie. Well, now the Lord looks at you with these eyes of mercy, and he says, has no one condemned you? And you realize the world tries to use me. The world abandons me. The world does not love me. But the world also has no right to condemn me. The world did not create me. The world does not know me. The world did not die for me. So they have no right to condemn me. The only one that has a right to condemn me now looks me right into the soul and says, neither do I condemn you. Go and from now on do not sin anymore. As his gaze pierced into my soul with rays of love, so now his words finally resonate. The only person who has ever been able to convict me and not condemn me, to be able to say, yes, you sinned. Absolutely, I'm not denying it. I'm not going to sugarcoat the fact. But there's still hope for you. You see, here this merciful man, Jesus Christ, this God who created me, has love enough to convict me without condemning me. What does that mean? To convict me means to say, yes, you are in fact guilty. But to stop short of condemning me is to say, you're guilty, but I pardon you. You're guilty, but there's hope. I can make you innocent once more. And in doing that, he does the most wondrous thing. He does what he promised through his prophet Isaiah. What did we read in that first reading? He said, Remember not the events of the past, the things of long ago consider not. See, I am doing something new. All of those who condemned me, 
They were thinking only of things of the past. All of the people that condemn you, maybe you yourself, looking in the mirror, when you look over your long history of sin, you might be condemning yourself. Most of the stones thrown at you might be thrown by your own hand. And yet the Lord says, remember not the things of the past. Don't be stuck on the boring cycle of sin and condemnation and sin and condemnation. Break free from that. Allow me to do something new in you. And that something new is a glorious forgiveness. Where the Lord restores you to original innocence. It happens most wondrously in the sacrament of confession, but it also happens in every prayer that we lift up to the Lord. At every moment we can be one-on-one with Jesus as this woman. And we can have him look at us and say, yes, I saw what you just did. I recognize it as a sin. But I recognize you as more than a sinner. I recognize you as my daughter. I recognize you as my son. And there is more to you than your faults and failures. So be renewed in my love. You see, if we allow that to be a daily renewal in our prayer and a regular renewal in frequent confession we end up having this transformation occur within us that is characterized in St. Paul, whose second reading is such a beautiful one, from that short but wondrous letter to the Philippians, which he wrote when he was in prison, condemned to die, and yet is permeated by this joy that the world could not take away from him. And in this letter he writes, I consider everything as a loss because of the supreme good of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have accepted the loss of all things. And I consider them so much rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him. You see, Paul experienced what the woman experienced in today's gospel. He was found out as a sinner. Christ himself appeared to him and said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He had completely lost his way and he thought that he was doing the best work imaginable. He was persecuting the early Christians. He was, had his hand in the killing of the first Christians. He was, by his own admission, a murderer. And yet he was not without hope. Christ was able to convict him in his sin to say, yes, you are sinning. Yes, you are on the wrong path. And I will not tolerate sin But I have infinite patience with the sinner. And so he was able to transform this sinner and turn him into one of the greatest of all saints. And that's what he wants to do in all of us. The whole purpose of Lent is this kind of a renewal. For us to be convicted by the love of Christ. To say, yes, you are the way and the truth and the life. And I have lost my way. I have been living not in accord with truth. I have been embracing the cancer that is sin and rejecting the life that is communion with you. And so he convicts me of that every Lent, just as a doctor diagnoses me of a fatal illness. Not in a way of judging me or condemning me, but in a way of saying, here is the cancer that is eating your soul. Do I have your permission to take it away? Every Lent is us giving him that permission, saying yes. Cut out the cancer of my soul. Forgive me of my sins. Renew me in my innermost being because I want to be renewed in you. I want to live my life in a new way. I want to follow the way that is you. I want to live in accord with the truth that you are. I want to be filled with the life that you offer me. And so he looks at us all. 
in this Mass. He knows exactly what our struggles are. Each one of us is going to have a different mix of temptations and faults and failures, but also hopes and desires and potential and dreams. He looks at us in the midst of the world condemning us, his love convicting us, and he says, you have the choice. I've convicted you. Now, do you want to respond to that conviction with conversion or self-condemnation? Do you want to say, yes, I get it, I'm a sinner, and then follow the way of these scribes and Pharisees who in their conviction walked away from Jesus, stuck with their shame, unable to turn to mercy? Or do we instead follow the example of the woman who let the world go its way, but she stayed with Jesus. She looked him in the eye, and when he said, go and sin no more, she said, amen. We can only imagine how changed her life was from that moment, and we can pray that our lives may be changed as well. That Lent may be able to work its magic, and by that I mean the God who invites us into Lenten transformation may be able to renew us from the inside. The choice is ours. We're all standing here convicted. Every single one of us, sinners in different ways. But the eyes of mercy look upon us. They urge us to not condemn ourselves, for Christ himself does not condemn us. Instead, he calls us to conversion and renewal. He believes that we are capable by his grace of being transformed. Do we believe it? And will we do as this woman we prayed had done and go out and sin no more?